The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome back to The Heather McCoy Show. And uh, joining us on the line is Hans Johnson, the president of Progressive Victory, uh, found at ProgressiveVictory.com. Welcome to the show, Hans. Great to be with you, Heather. And Great. Listeners. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, the Supreme Court took two cases last Friday having to do with marriage equality, one being the case of California's Prop 8, known as Hollingsworth versus Perry, and a DOMA uh, case, which is the Defense of uh, Marriage Act, uh, United, States, United States versus Windsor. Both cases got to the Supreme Court, for those that don't know. Um, what was the ruling in the lower circuits with the, both cases? Well, uh, in the case of DOMA, there are several lower court rulings uh, finding DOMA unconstitutional, and two of them at the circuit court level from the First and Second Circuit. And the court decided to take the case from the Second Circuit. Um, That case tests whether Edith Windsor uh, was fairly denied uh, the uh, benefits of the constitutional protection when she was forced to pay uh, for the uh, acquisition of the estate left her by her deceased partner. Um, they'd been together for many years, and uh, unfortunately she was required to pay for that estate, several thousand dollars, uh, something that married couples are not forced to pay, and she decided to fight uh, what she deemed uh, conspicuous unfairness and has pushed her case all the way through the federal court system. And that case uh, being one now that the Supreme Court has decided to take, really does test the fairness, the constitutionality of the 1996 uh, so-called Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, it has been a case that is working its way towards the high court for many years, and I think it's also worth noting that it's many Republican-appointed judges, not just uh, traditional allies of uh, freedom and equality claims, but Republican judges in the case of a judge from Massachusetts who held, uh, in the case that worked its way up through the First Circuit, a Nixon appointee uh, who ruled in the First Circuit Court of Appeals ruling, um, a George H.W. Bush appointee writing that opinion. And as we've seen in a number of other cases, Republican-appointed judges at the state and federal level writing some of these rulings, uh, holding that DOMA is unconstitutional. This case out of the Second Circuit um, also, uh, it's worth noting, is unlikely to result in the recusal of any Supreme Court justice, given that Elena Kagan was involved in the uh, First Circuit case. So we are likely to have all nine justices weighing in on the substance if they get to the substance. Just a side note, is Kagan going to declare herself, um, you know, take herself out of the Prop 8 case as well? I believe that's unlikely. Uh, and uh, there's probably no basis for doing that. Uh, the, uh, the issue that does come up with both the Prop 8 case, uh, the Perry case, as uh, with the Windsor case out of the Second Circuit, is the fact that the court may not choose to rule on the merits in either case because in accepting the cases, the court pointed out that there are significant issues of standing that it may uh, opt to weigh in on uh, directly. And for those who are not versed in, I guess, some of the legal ease here, standing is the issue of whether uh, an appellant actually has the legal basis for bringing the case itself. And sometimes uh, some of the questions around standing are uh, so controversial um, or so difficult uh, in their legal parsing that courts opt to weigh in on them. And it is also uh, of note that there are cases of particular divisiveness 
that sometimes uh, the court will choose to take the standing question rather than to rule on the substance uh, so as to unleash any degree of backlash to its own holding. And both cases present significant issues of standing on which the court can rule. And I think it's also worth noting that in both cases, if the court were to rule simply on standing grounds, it's highly likely that, uh, that the marriage equality side uh, would prevail, given the level of uh, unanimity uh, in the lower court ruling on the question and given the holdings that uh, the district courts and the Court of Appeals have held, such that if the court did opt to rule on standing um, in, in its most likely outcome, the way that the facts around the standing tend to dispose the court to likely acting, it would leave in place uh, rulings that favor marriage equality. Yeah, one of the things I don't get about the standing is the um, United States versus Windsor. One of the plain, the you know the defendant, I guess, would be the United States in that case. Uh, they still have their name on their case, um, even though President Obama says he's not defending it. How did that come about? Because uh, to the infinite uh, discredit of the Speaker of the House, John Boehner, uh, this group called the Bipartisan Legal Advocacy Group, which is ostensibly made up of five people, uh, the Speaker of the House, the Majority and the Minority Leader, and the Majority and Minority Whips, those five people are, constitute that so-called uh, Bipartisan Legal Advocacy Group, um, intervened in the case on a three-to-two vote. Uh, just in reciting who its components are, I think you can see that there is a Republican advantage to that five-person group, and under pressure from the party's extreme right flank uh, and doing its bidding, as it has in Congress, uh, John Boehner uh, opted to intervene and spend taxpayer dollars to cover uh, the blag serving as the uh, proponent of that case forward. Um, so that is the question of standing in the Windsor case. It's unlikely, I believe, I, don't, I believe Bill shares that belief, uh, my co-author on the piece on SCOTUS blog, uh, Marriage Equality's Cinderella Moment, that the uh, court is unlikely to cast aside the Windsor case on standing grounds. But that is how it made its way forward, despite the fact that the Obama administration, to its credit, uh, opted not, opted to no longer defend what it believed to be an unconstitutional law in federal court. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're actually aware of this, but one of the reasons why I'm glad the Supreme Court took Hollinsworth versus Perry is that the judge that heard the case in the lower court, Justice Vaughn Walker, is a gay man, and the Christian right has been screaming bloody murder about a conflict of interest. Do you see this as a good sign as well? Uh, well, I think it's a good sign that there is uh, increasing pushback on the effort by uh, people on the far right in particular to demonize judges based on um, their own identity. Uh, that, is a, that is an extremely slippery slope that cuts against uh, diversity. Uh, it could cut against the involvement of women um, on the bench, and it certainly cuts against diversity in uh, high office in our uh, federal bench and in our state bench. But I also think that the courts deciding to take this case, um, the, the arena that it is now reached in the fact that the court might uh, rule on standing questions could leave intact either the district court trial ruling that Vaughn Walker through a very diligently operated trial on the facts with witnesses from uh, any variety of uh, arenas of professional opinion, 
very, very uh, weighty court record on the facts about LGBT people's lives, contributions, capacity to raise kids. A very thoroughgoing trial also testing all the canards of right-wing attacks on the LGBT community um, was a very important ruling in August of 2010. Likewise, the Ninth Circuit's ruling, uh, which hinged on whether a state could grant and then revoke rights to same-sex couples, um, also, I think, has a very significant ruling. So that's just to say that if the court, uh, the high court, either decided to remove the question of standing um, in depending on how far back they would go, it would leave intact uh, either a very significant and very important Ninth Circuit ruling or the district court holding, both of which uh, would stand to uh, strike down Prop 8 in the state of California. A decision on standing would be a ruling on a very narrow ground. Uh, what would be some of the options about ruling that would avoid you know, guns coming out like what you blogged about in your article? Well, thank you for picking up on that, because I think it is important to note that uh, while, uh, while I advocate and while Bill joins me in advocating for recognition of marriage equality, certainly in the state of California and to strike down DOMA, we're very mindful of the fact that we still have three-quarters of the states with prohibitions. Thirty-eight states have statutory or constitutional, or in many cases both, uh, barring recognition of marriage equality. And in such a context, it's important to tread lightly and to rule narrowly on the part of the Supreme Court. Um, I think the implication of the court's ruling in the Perry case is likely to simply apply to the state of California. And as I mentioned, the Ninth Circuit ruling uh, applying to a specific circumstance where a state first grants and then revokes rights um, leaves uh, the California as the potential sole scope of ap- applicability uh, in that ruling. Uh, in the DOMA case, uh, that's a more complicated application because, as you may know, and as listeners may uh, also be quite aware, DOMA acts as a federal and nationwide hex on the rights of LGBT people. Even uh, those in states that actually recognize marriage equality have no federal rights thanks to the sweeping impact of DOMA. And not only does it do that federally, as Edith Windsor is testing, but it is also this invitation to states to discriminate and to undermine the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution, uh, thus making one state's marriage not applicable or not uh, holding any weight in another state. So it's important to strike that down. But even if that is struck down, it could leave intact these state constitutional prohibitions and statutes. But much as happened in Loving versus Virginia, um, which struck down uh, the last remaining anti-miscegenation statutes in 1967, there had been a debate for 13 years prior to Loving's ruling uh, after Brown v. Board of Education um, that many states took as a signal that their uh, Jim Crow legislation and that their anti-miscegenation statutes may have their days numbered, and they chose to repeal them. We believe that this kind of signal from the court Uh, even in a narrow ruling, uh, would be a a very powerful sign that states should uh, revisit their constitutional prohibitions and and remove them, Uh, and that that is a part of the democratic process that even narrow rulings uh, by the Supreme Court could uh, quite felicitously set in motion. Uh, Since Justice Roberts seems to be a historian of the court, do you think he would swing his vote just to keep integrity like what he did with Obamacare? due to the fact he knows that these are both landmark cases and he wants to, you know, he wants history to portray him well. 
Well, Justice Roberts is a, is a savvy observer of trends in the law and in politics, uh, as his ruling on the Affordable Care Act showed. And um, it's not outside the realm of possibility that, like a savvy uh, swing voter, he might want to come down on the winning side. If he saw things shifting uh, towards a 5-4 ruling on the merits, it is uh, possible, certainly, that Justice Roberts could opt to join that ruling or could write a separate ruling uh, that would allow him to join in part or uh, to oppose in part. Uh, but I also think it's possible that we could get uh, a 6-3 ruling in the Perry case, uh, partly because uh, the eventuality of not holding that uh, marriage rights apply to LGBT people, or at least not uh, to strike down uh, Prop 8 in the case of having revoked and then uh, restricted marriage rights, you know, the, the eventuality that would leave LGBT people with, if that were not to be the case, is exactly what Justice Kennedy in his 1996 ruling regarding the Colorado anti-gay amendment um, said was not allowable to leave LGBT people in that plight. So I think it's important when you look at the alternatives available to the court that if it were not to find something that recognized LGBT people's um, rights, to, to recognize same-sex couples in California, that it is... Uh, it's unpalatable to at least Justice Kennedy and possibly to Justice Roberts to throw people uh, back to having to rely on changing the Constitution through a popular vote, which is precisely the, the option that Justice Kennedy said uh, was not permissible um, in the Colorado case. So that could also result, uh, that could also win over a Justice Roberts under certain circumstances. And just wrapping up, do you think, um, what do you think the decisions of these cases will turn out when they're decided? Well, I, it, it's impossible to say, <laughs> and I do not want to wade into uh, being a, a tea leaf reader on, on this court or, or any court for that matter. But I do think that come June, we are likely to have some basis for uh, celebrating uh, in both California and in the uh, many years movement against DOMA. You know, there are people here in California, many other states. I want to credit someone in particular, Charlene Strong, an activist from Washington State, whose story about how her partner passed away and the indignities that she suffered um, in the wake of that have been real uh, catalysts for change in the law in, the, in this area. And the four states that we saw uh, reversing a trend of uh, striking down, uh, lashing back at marriage equality in state ballot measure outcomes was also a very significant outcome in this election that showed that the tide of opinion is turning to a majority favoring marriage equality. The court is not immune to that, and I believe in June, by June, uh, by July 4th, uh, we will be celebrating not something that stands in the tradition of Bowers v. Hardwick, uh, lashing out at the LGBT community, but something that we can fairly celebrate as an application of some of the nation's deepest principles of democracy to LGBT people and same-sex couples. That would be a great thing, and they can file their taxes jointly now. Um, Hans Johnson is the president of Progressive Victory, found at ProgressiveVictory.com. Thank you for being on the show, especially on short notice. It's wonderful, Heather. Thank you so much. You can follow me at Hans P. Johnson on Twitter. Okay, thank you very much. This is the Heather McCoy Show.